0: Welcome back to Activism Uncensored. We have uh, my good friend Piers, actually. I've actually been looking forward to getting you on the show, to be honest, mate. Um, yeah, you do You do some a lot of interesting work. Why don't you start by uh, just telling people who you are and uh, what you do down there with that amazing project.
1: Okay, well, hello everyone. Um, just start off by wishing everyone a very happy Beltane, recording this on the 2nd of May. So we just had Beltane yesterday. So, uh, you know, blessings, uh, Beltane blessings to everyone who's listening to this. I hope you're enjoying the leap from the winter into the summer. Um, Yeah, so uh, I'm Piers. Um, I live in Kent somewhere, and I started uh, uh, a small project about four years ago called the Deep Adaptation Research Experience, which the acronym is DARE. Mm-hmm. um i was involved with xr and i had a sense of of trying to make this piece of le- this little piece of land that used to be my family's it's a little two acre plot um but rather than it be a family plot i wanted it to be somewhere where we were doing research into deep adaptation and uh, i don't know if any of your listeners are aware of what deep adaptation is or you know would like me to say a few words about my understanding of deep adaptation um
0: yeah i mean go for it this is in your words, what do
1: you mean by deep adaptation? Okay. Um, well, to me, um, deep adaptation, it, it kind of flows on from what was coined in the 1970s by Joanna Macy and Arnie Nace and people called um, deep ecology, which was the sense of us mm. being connected to the world, to the planet, to, the, to our sort of deeper instinctual feeling of connection to the earth. They call that deep ecology and joanna macy you know her work grew out of that movement um so when deep adaptation the concept of deep adaptation came along um you know it really hit home to me you know i've been i've been aware of the climate crisis for um 40 years and i've been sort of campaigning and trying to do what i can to raise the alarm for 40 odd years and pretty much all my working life Um, and just feeling all the time, you know, it wasn't happening, it was just no traction whatsoever. Um, And then obviously, you know, Extinction Rebellion happened and, you know, I just, you know, it was, uh, the time felt so perfect for something large to happen, so I jumped in with both feet kind of thing. Um, But also, you know, with the knowledge, with my understanding of following the science, that there's so much change already baked in, you know that you know we're we 're at four twenty parts per million of c o two in the atmosphere. you know this hasn 't been in our atmosphere for something like i don 't know ten million years or something a very long time you know pre human we're yeah. we're at levels of c o two that that humans have never existed on a planet with four hundred and twenty parts per million. Of co2 so that sense of we have we have got to focus on adapting and learning how to adapt as fast as possible and starting to be adaptable and you know to be able to adapt to whatever life is going to bring towards us um you know i don't see you know even if we stopped all the emissions tomorrow um we're still gonna you know have to change our lives massively and it, it it does look like the political climate and the social climate is not one that's going to transition easily you know i did used to think in 2019 2018 even up to 2020 that there was a certain wave that xr had brought to the to the game that possibly might have swung things but um i kind of feel that the you know the 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 neoliberal states the you know the monarchists the the establishment has just, you know, it's just gobbled us up and moved on like so many other movements in the past have just, like, been squashed.
0: Well, there is a movement growing again. Sized,
1: sidelined. Yes, there are. Well, there's lots of small movements coming. There is a, There is lots of movements coming. Yeah, there is still a, a groundswell of movement, and I'm, I'm excited to still be a part of it. Um, you know, I still believe it's worth taking obstructive activism, seriously, but I think it's not the whole picture. You know, and I think we've got to balance. You know, there's two things we need to balance in our lives as much as we possibly can. You know, the first is to try and stop the harm. Um, So like on an individual basis, stop doing any harm at all. You know, don't fly, don't drive, don't eat meat. You know, learn to live that, that very low consumptive life and share it with as many people as possible, and encourage as many people as possible to to you know cut their personal emissions and, and start learning a more synchronous lifestyle. And then I think there is also a place for going out into the street and doing sabotage and doing direct action. Um, and I know the, the sort of climate, particularly today, <coughs> with the uh, changes in the public order bill that are just going through, you know the stakes are going to get even you know more intense for people um to take direct action um so yeah well they are turning up the heat they are turning up the heat on us somewhat um and that you know does make it difficult to do the adaptation work um so to tell you the truth I'm, i'm always in this balance of feeling conflicted between the the importance of doing the adaptation work of doing the nature connection work with people doing um, as much, you know, physical, you know, habitat um, regeneration, doing the growing of food, teaching people about getting your hands dirty in the ground, actually getting in touch with the ground, and learning mm-hmm. those sort of life skills.
0: How much, um, how much food do you grow uh, at your place? Uh,
1: we've got six or seven hundred heads of garlic in the ground. We've got. Um, Twenty-five kilos of seed potatoes planted. Um, we've got we've got quite a lot. We grow what we can, you know. We we mm-hmm. do grow what we can, um, and obviously it's learning the skills and learning, you know, how to do it well, how to do it in with the sort of no dig, um, you know, non-violent attitude and very low consumption, you know, low input system, so that we don't buy in any compost. Um, we don't you know we don't buy anything in or bring any any resource in as far as possible we try and have that closed cycle of um, you know we we compost all our poo we've got all compost toilets Um, so we use compost we use humanure as well as compost Um, uh, we make a lot of compost as much as we can and sort of really pay attention to 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 try to close those cycles and re- retain the nutrition and retain the humidity in the ground and just think about the you know thinking about the earth as a living thing as a living as a living organism so you know we don't dig because that's quite violent and aggressive and actually yeah well does sort of let off a lot of nitrous oxide and you know it, it you lose a lot of compost by digging so how do you di- how do you grow gardens without digging you know it's all it's all quite experimental well, I, uh, what we're doing
0: can, can i say like um i was reading about the mycelium networks uh the mushroom mycelium networks and you know how we we turn our we, we turn our fields don't we we plow our fields we turn we, turn, we dig up the ground and turn it over to exp, uh, to bury all the other plants and plant our our crops in the soil but at the same time we're destroying the uh the mycelium network.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's like a
0: spiders web that runs all throughout the soil. Absolutely. And it all it does the the mycelium network it trades with, with the plants, doesn't it? And it trades nutrients for um can't remember it is now, some kind of like sugars that the plant produces from photosynthesis. I can't remember exactly what it's yeah. it's called. I'm yeah. not a scientist, but
1: yeah, I mean, I think what what you know what the science is showing and what a lot of the research is showing and what my, you know, my feelings about growing should be, is that it's a symbiotic process. You know that that what I'm doing is mm. beneficial to the ground, and I'm not trying to extract every last potato from the ground. You know, it's like a give, bit of a give and take, and so needing yeah. to sort of really, really be gentle, you know, in our input and be gentle. In our, in our relationship with the earth,
0: can I ask you can I ask you a question. If if uh, if it was your decision, if you were put in charge of like the farming, like if like you know, imagine imagine we did change the world, and you were put in charge of farming, how would you how would you change the farm? Because as as it stands right now, uh, the farms around the world we grow in monocrop culture with the same plant in straight lines. We spray pesticides, herbicides, and um, what's it? What's it now? Fungicides, um, herbicides, nutrients. Yeah, fungicides with yeah. tons of chemicals. Tons of chemicals. So, so we put we, we, we put so much nitrous oxide, nitrogen into the soil yes. that it runs off and creates dead zones in the oceans. Yeah, yeah. And also that also that we can produce millions of tons of grain, and we feed most of that to cattle. So. If you was in charge of uh, the world's agriculture, you know, how would you, how would you do do things differently or have things done differently?
1: Well, I would, uh, I would encourage people to be as vegan as possible, uh, you know, to be as plant-based yeah. as possible. So I don't think that's, you know, necessarily cutting out all, particularly meat, because, you know, I think there is a place for some animals within the ecosystem and, you know, a little bit of meat can go a very long way. Um, But obviously the scale of the amount of meat that people are used to eating and are encouraged to eat, you know, it's like we're sold to, you know, this lifestyle of eating a really high meat sort of diet by advertising agencies and multinationals who are are intent on, you know, just extracting as much from the land as they possibly can. And yeah, I would would definitely have to go the the plant-based way. And yes, that 80% of land could be forest and could be, could be left to rewilding and could you know really sort out the biodiversity mm. crisis you know the insects have crashed you know i notice it in my lifetime in the, no. in the 40 years i've been alive the, the the lack of birds the lack of insects it's it's frightening it's year on year you know it's noticeable
0: yeah it's really it's really it's really upsetting that keys out i was gonna it going to get to go on about farming it but that like the in, the crash crash of the insects like do you remember when you were a boy when you used to drive in the summer and you'd get uh, books splattered all over the windscreen.
1: Yeah, when you're when yeah, in yeah. the car. All of that, yeah. It was like snowstorm sometimes. Yeah, and the summer's evening, it could be like a snowstorm. Yeah, you hardly ever see that now. In fact, never. You know, and I remember walking under a lo- you know, a lime tree or an apple tree in blossom, and and it would be alive with the, you know, it sound like an aeroplane almost with the sound of the bees in the in the tree, it's so loud. Yeah. And I haven't heard that for probably five or six years now. You know, I haven't walked under a tree and gone, "Oh my God, what's that?" I haven't heard that. That's really sad. Though. For quite a long That's time. really sad. That, like, yeah, yeah, it um, is. It's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. Yeah, it's so painful. You know, it's so painful. You know,
0: uh, do you remember when I did the insul- when I was in Insulate Breton and I, did, I made I was uh, I had my picture on the front page of the Sun, and my sign said. I rested four times because I am in mourning for life on Earth. It's things like that yeah. that I wrote that sign for. Yeah. It's the coral. It's the coral reefs. We're losing the coral reefs. We're losing the insects. We lose. Yeah, and when the insects yeah. go, we, we lose birds. Good yeah. birds. eat yeah, yeah. Insects. Majority. Yeah. Majority
1: of them. Yeah. And this world is just such a miracle. You know the the nature and how this. You know the natural world. You know, coexists and the beauty of it—it's just—it's a fucking miracle. It is, it is an absolute miracle, yeah. So you know, in some ways, I kind of feel—you know—a lot of people won't. I don't know if they'll ever cotton onto it, you know, whether they'll ever, ever fall in love to such a point with nature that they say, "I'm not going to allow this to happen," you know. So I, I don't know if they are. I think um you know personally i think a lot of you know like you were saying mycelium i think the funguses and the hallucinogenic mushrooms are really important um yeah hello francis yes um sorry children
0: yeah probably best not to use real names or get children's faces in the video yeah um but it should be okay Yes. Um,
1: um um, so you know, I, I, I'm a big believer in in you know psychedelics and and fungal medicine as a way of yeah. as a way of helping people to connect to nature and hopefully falling in love with the miracle of it all.
0: Well, I'm going to be honest. Like, I've had a couple of psychedelic experiences, um, and. The last one I had, I was actually at, at your your place, and it was only it was only a microdose, a very very mild dose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I found myself walking barefoot through the forest uh, in your on your land in the mud, and it didn't really matter to me because I could mm-hmm. wash my feet, and I, it, I I felt very connected to the earth, and
1: yeah,
0: I think that's something that a lot of people miss these days. Yeah. People don't really have these days because they walk, you know, they never feel the earth under their feet. Yep and they're always walking on
1: concrete. No, no. Or
0: oh, tile floors or carpet. Yes,
1: yes, yes, no, I, I get that. I get that, I, I think being barefoot is fantastic in that sense of you can really feel feel the earth and, and I think something does happen. You know, I think, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of indigenous pe- people or, or sort of First Nations people, indigenous people, you know, dancing, you know, barefoot on the ground, you know, was a very sacred thing to do. Because it was actually you're in a relationship with the ground in your dance. So, for the, a lot of American Indian people, you know, and, and indigenous people from all over the world, their dances are not about getting high and you know, having a lovely time, it's about stepping a certain rhythm of beats to the mother. You know, it's like you're dancing and mm-hmm. your footsteps pulsing into the mother, so there is this sort of conversation with the mother with Mother Earth and it becomes this really sacred thing you know I mean um, I remember being really touched by um, you know uh, some a story from the uh, I think it was the Lakota Indians in America um, at Wounded Knee did you ever did you ever read a book called Bury My Heart at Wounded no, Knee
0: no I've only read about I've only read about 10 books you're not a book man my entire life no
1: no, well, very, next uh, time. I'm very
0: dyslexic.
1: Next time, if you ever, you know, if you ever have a long time with not a lot else to do but read books, um, ask someone to send you this one. It's a very beautiful, beautiful book, full of, full of fa- an, an incredible lot of stories. It's it really chronicles the way you know when um, European people started going to North America, um, and how they decimated the tribes, how they overrode, you know, all of these incredible cultures of people living in symbiosis with the earth and they they just fucking exterminated them you know basically they were absolutely brutal and just you know yeah. the masses of cultures were just extincted um but one of them the very end of the of the of the story it talks about this group who came out at wounded knee and at wounded knee it was a certain it was a camp in this place called wounded knee um, and there was a village of I think about three or four hundred people there um, of of uh, indigenous people and uh, the american the the u s military turned up and just slaughtered a lot of them you know opened up with their machine guns, and killed a lot It was a massacre total massacre genocide total genocide mm-hmm. and from that, there was a certain group of people who who said this is you know, this is the end, this is the end, because we can't fight these people. You know, they've got no morals, they've got no empathy, they're almost not, you know, they're like machines, and they had this machine gun, a sort of killing machine, and obviously with bows and arrows and tomahawks, you you can't do a lot against a machine gun. And so they sort of put down their guns, they put down their, their bows and arrows and their tomahawks, and they just started dancing. And they started dancing in a way that they felt at least they had themselves. You know, they thought, if we're going to die, we're going to die dancing, doing our sacred dance, because this is what's most important in our culture. This is the most important thing in the world, is our dance. They called it the ghost dance, and it became a whole movement in the American Indian population, and... In some ways, I think something happened, and they stopped getting shot so much. You know, you don't need to shoot people who are just dancing, do you? So these guys. Well, isn't
0: that isn't that a strategy of non-violence anyway?
1: It's yeah, it is a strategy of non-violence. Yeah, yeah, but it's also, it's almost like it's like they stopped paying attention to the aggressor, you know, because they weren't locked yeah. in this sort of you know locked horns trying to fight back. You know, they, they surrendered, basically. They said, we surrender. You're going to kill us. You're going to rape our children. You're going to rape our children, rape our wives, steal our land, nick all our food, um, and you're going to kill us. So it's all fucked. There's nothing to lose. We surrender. We're just going to dance. And if you shoot us, well, we go straight to spirit. And at least we're going honourably. And they, they did stop getting shot. In some way, it was like that sense of surrendering to the inevitable. What they felt was totally inevitable. You know, they were going to be massacred. And I, yeah, I think that story is really that. pertinent. You know, so for me, what I, you know, I always hold that story of the ghost dancers, um, you know, in my consciousness is, is quite close. And the irony is, is that they, they wore these white tunics and it became a, you know, it was a bit of a cult, I think. Um, and the the symbol they used you know if you ever google it you go on Wikipedia and look at ghost dance. The symbol that they sort of stitched into their tunics or their jackets or whatever it was was very similar to the xr symbol. It was two triangles you know one on top of the other, um, apart from they had hands and feet coming out the corners whereas x r mm-hmm. you know is just those two triangles but it it 's incredible how the the, the 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 you know the same symbolism was used by the ghost dancers as XR ended up using. Um, So I think for me, it really speaks to me of what I think, you know, the place we're in at the moment is this sense of inevitability. You know, 420 parts per million CO2 plus aerosol warming, you know, plus permafrost going to leach out loads of methane, um, you know, tipping points, blah, 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 blah. It's like we just... we are going over the cliff. Mm. And so we are it's a sense of how do we do that well. How do we do that and remain in joy See, I'm, and remain say, in love? I'm still
0: I'm still fighting for uh, I, I like to say like plan A is save the world. Plan B is survive the death of the world. Like I'm you know, I'm I'm I think maybe because I'm young. I'm, well, I'm not young. Yeah. Young, thirty years old now. Yeah. And I, I still see. I think if humanity pools its resources now, in the next five years, and I mean really, like, yeah. Put, I mean, yeah. Put, that, To hell, to hell with the profit. If they pool their resources, if we pool our resources as a planet,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think we could undo the damage. And save this world, and it would be the story to be passed down for generation after generation after generation.
1: Yeah, I of, think you Of right. how we did
0: this great thing.
1: I think you're right. I
0: think it's still possible. Okay. And that's just me. Great. Um, you know, I mean, you've you've been in this, you've been doing this for longer than I have. I've barely been in this for two years now. You know. Yeah. Do you remember when we first met? What we were getting up to? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you might have to nudge well, my memory there josh it's it's you've to well, nudge my memory do you I remember, first met, do you remember I come, the wedding bus ah uh, the wedding bus yes how could yes. you forget the wedding bus well i didn't know if that was the first time but yes i do remember yes of course i think it, it was. was it was it the was, first time yeah. i do remember you turning up yeah 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 coming in and thinking, <laughs> I thinking this guy's really cool you know i really loved your energy oh, and your can do attitude it was Did- great
0: just just for everyone who who um doesn't know what the wedding bus was we uh we uh we 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 had a an open top bus single decker and um, disguised it as a wedding party and uh drove it right through the middle of an extinction rebellion protest put the brakes on glued to the windows and started building a tower on top it's quite quite impressive really yeah it was quite that's my third ever arrest that
1: was it your third yeah the third, the yeah. Third. Okay, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. No, I do remember that, and you know, I remember what what struck me about that event is it was such a beautiful thing, you know, wedding, and we drove the bus onto the south side of London Bridge, and pulled <laughs> it onto that crossroads there, and we put the banners over the edge, and the banners said "Code Red for Humanity," you know, end fossil, end fossil fuel addiction or something. And that was on the back of you know Antonio Guterres's IPCC, you know, code red for humanity report um, had just mm-hmm. come out, and the police just came at us, didn't they? You know, they just absolutely went. They desert, came over the it? top. It was a, it was a um, you know it was a Pirates of the Caribbean thing. You know they were coming over the side. I needed my cutlass and wanted to you know they're boarding over the edge Whilst and talking, climbing gonna, over the top Yeah, yeah, and it was it was that brutality, is you know. Of um, you know a lot of these. They were
0: smashing windows and hitting people, walking yeah. the
1: buttons. Yeah, yeah, totally. He
0: got really quite. Like, they they were loving it. I... They were yeah. they were like. I was uh, I was on on top drilling the platform together. Yeah, like I was up, I was up like a level up. I remember um, yeah, yeah. I remember thinking. I remember. I remember thinking like the police are going to climb straight over this bus, and we were like, oh, they walked it because of health and safety. I remember I looked up at one point, and it was as coppers like climbing in like two. Yeah. Four, yeah. six. And I just saw that as like, oh, it's over. Yeah. We're, we're
1: done. We're done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, for me, it was that thing of realising, you know, hey, you know, we're right on the edge of the City of London and the City of London <laughs> for the last 500 years, you know, has been the most brutal seat of power you know i was arrested when yeah. i was i was arrested when i was 22 in the city of london and uh, they nearly broke my fingers you know they did that thing where they bend your fingers back they hold your hand and bend your finger back so it's almost going to break oh it's a pain restraint thing they did that to me then you know um that was part of the stop the city movement a, a sort of anarchic green movement back in 1982 or something it was um and then what was, they that? Were fuckers. What was that was
0: that follow like? up See, I've, I've never heard of that movement. What's that, what was that movement about? It was
1: called Stop the City. And it was about stopping the Leo, mm-hmm. neoliberals, stopping the fossil fuel investments, stopping the banks and the, and the big corporations, stopping the media.
0: 1980? 1980, 1982,
1: 1982. Yes, early 1980s. 1982. Early 1980s. Wow. I, was, I was 22. That's and they did me for assaulting... Ten
0: years before I was, yeah. 10 years before I was born. Yeah, yeah. They, they did you for
1: what? They did me for assaulting a copper. They, wow. they tried to get me for assaulting a copper I was found not guilty um, But mm. they did, they, yeah, they tried to do me for assaulting a copper And I suppose I realised at that point, I thought, you know you, The British Empire was so successful Because British people are the most ruthless You know, through our history You know, we started the slave trade the british yeah. monarchy well, the british state has been the most brutal and repressive um you know state in the world that's what that's why it was so great that's what made it so great you know is we're a tiny little island with nothing with no resources and how did we become the biggest empire in the world by being fucking bastards by being the most aggressive the most ruth- most ruthless so i kind of realize you know i kind of think there's a certain naivety to think that we can change it because these people are, they're ruthless, you know.
0: Yeah, they are.
1: I remember going to the Occupy movement, you know, when they occupied outside St Paul's, whenever that was, and I remember walking away from that and just looking at the size of the buildings that we were around, you know, that were there, just looking, you know, these walls are like eight foot thick, you know, just thinking, you know, 500 people in tents, (laughs) it's like flies to these people you know the the fucking establishment Mm. has been going for you know hundreds of years and they've got so much blood on their hands you know the genocide of all those tribes in America you know hundreds of cultures just obliterated extincted you know extinction does happen it does happen Um, so it's not it, it is you know it's not like it's not like, oh, this is the first time it's ever happened. You know, British people have been exterminating cultures for, for the last three, 400 years. Ruthlessly, hundreds of them, hundreds of cultures have just yeah. disappeared and been extinct. I, I, I
0: agree. I agree with you, mate. Like, you know, people sometimes look back and say, you know, I'm proud of the British Empire and I look back and I, I've actually learned a bit of history about the British Empire and I'm like, really? Yeah. Really. Really. You're proud of that. I mean, yeah, we we, we 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 you got a lot of land. I mean, I'm not I'm not hating on my own country, you know, uh, but you know, our his, we've got a pretty dark history. We got a pretty goddamn dark history. Like, like the, the British, the British were having their own Holocaust before the Germans started it. You yep. know. Yeah, and, we, and we've been doing it for a very long time.
1: We've been doing it for a very long time, yeah, we've, it's it's in, well, we, when I say we, you know, the British establishment, the state, you know, the monarchy, um, you know, those people, that those big families, yeah, they've been doing it for hundreds of years, yeah, you know. Do you know, you know, John Bull in, in 900 and, what was it, the Peasants' Revolt in 978, you know, they hung and courted him and he was a priest, you know, they're they, yeah, they're butchers, these people. Butchers.
0: Do you know? Do you know something I've been reading about recently? Is the suppression of communism around the world by the CIA? Yeah. And by the NSA is mm-hmm. CIA mm-hmm. and the US, the US basically. Mm-hmm. Um, not the US as a nation, but the the, the powers that you know after World War Two. Mm-hmm. The amount of people that they murdered to to suppress. I mean. They, they not only suppressed uprisings of communism of people power. They suppressed the idea of what communism is. Like they tried to mud- muddy the waters and make it seem like it was the, the USSR. Like the the, the strict dicta- dictatorial di- dictator. Sorry, can't get my words out. The, the strict regime of the USSR was state capitalist, and they had no freedoms. Now these books I've been reading, like. Communism is supposed to be like the the breakdown of those powers uh, into smaller, smaller um, autonomous regions. But um, I was growing with this, yeah. But for the last since World War Two, there's been a massive repression of these kinds of movements. And in, the reason I came onto this is because, like you said about them being ruthless, they've been equally as ruthless suppressing these grassroots movements for the last six decades, seven decades.
1: Yeah, 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 well, yes, yes, we've mm. been losing slowly for 2,000 years. <laughs> you know, there's been natural decline for the last 2,000 years, you know. Na- natural
0: decline, you mean like with, with uh, nature?
1: Nature, yeah, yeah. There's sort of, you know, I sort of say, you know, there's a sort of, um, um, you know, what I would call it anthropocentric, sort of way of living you know where we have humanity at the middle you know i kind of put it all down to the sort of what are known as abrahamic religions you know all three of the abrahamic religions put humanity fair and square at the center of the world and everything else is subordinate to that um and Mm. you know that it's just that one culture that abrahamic culture that has done that in the world You know, Buddhism is a bit softer and recognised that we're all connected and there's a humility. You know, I don't know about Hinduism and Sikhism, um, but certainly a lot of those sort of indigenous cultures, you know, they didn't really have, in my understanding, this sort of really human-centric concept, you know, that we were separate and different and special Mm. compared to other animals. They always respected, I think, that there was a sort of flow, you know, that you needed to, be, be gentle with your mother. You know, don't take too much. Be respectful of the animals. Be respectful of the of the nature. You know, and sort of...
0: And the last few hundred years, we've been, we've been harnessing nature. We've been completely... We've been taking every... As a metaphor, we've been taking every last potato out of the ground.
1: Yeah, well, you know? yeah, we've had that attitude for quite a few... You know, for a couple of thousand years, I think, but we just got really good at it you know, with the Industrial Mm. Revolution and the birth of fossil fuels and, you know, suddenly unleashing all that power, all that energy. um, You know, it's just, yeah, it's just got ridiculously efficient and and got to the point where it's gone beyond the point where nature can recover. You know, when you drag a tractor over a field, it's not the same as as walking a horse with a plough. You know, the land can recover just because, you know, you can't walk that quickly with a horse. You know, but a tractor. Well, I
0: think it's. Uh, I think the land can recover, but we're damaging it faster than it can. Than it's. Than the recovery
1: rate. It's that. Yes, we're damaging it so much quicker. Yeah, and our our machines are so efficient. Yeah, and everything is so efficient mm. that there is there is just no space, for nature. So the rate of change has just got ridiculous. You know, it's just gone up and up and up and up. It's that hockey stick curve. Um, yeah yeah so I, I i do kind of feel we are we are living in that you know experience in the time of of huge change coming
0: oh huge changes huge change when I first realized about the climate crisis I realized that huge change was coming and for the better or for worse like either way it's not going to stay as it is now no you know no it's either gonna we're either going to have to break down the Earth's climate and weather systems and the collapse of the global food trade, or we're going to completely change every single industry on Earth. And that, just, that, that means that the way the world is today will either change by choice or
1: painfully, but not not by choice. Yeah, it Looks like it's going to be painfully and not by choice. You know, the, because I just think the changes are coming, you know, next year, the, or this year, next year, the year after. And, you know, there's still fucking Formula One racing. You know, there's some twat put a rocket, you know, up to space the other day thinking that was a good idea. You know, what, what the fuck is he doing? You know, it's, it's mm. so not on the ball of getting ready to mitigate and adapt to where we're at. You know, no one, I don't think is, is really awake to how, how, well, how imminent these changes are.
0: I want to ask you a question, right? So, a scientist uh, term uh, coined uh, multi-breadbasket failure. So, just to explain to people what this is. So, uh, you've got different regions of the world known as breadbaskets. Um, so, you've you got like North America, South, you've got different continents. North America, South America, Asia, Africa, you know, two different places. And last year, the Indian breadbasket failed with drought, the year before that it was Canada failed, Um, but it's okay because those countries can import food from other places because it's not happening everywhere at the same time. Now multi breadbasket failure is where this happens everywhere at the same time and nobody can import food from anywhere because everyone's suffering drought. In your opinion, when do you reckon we'll start seeing events like multi bread basket failures in, on this planet?
1: Um, where are we, 2023? So I think by, 20, by 2027, 2028, we'll start seeing, mm. you know, more and more of these events. I think it'll be an incremental one. You know, it's not 100% failure. It'll be like, I mean, they're predicting the, you know, this year's rice harvest. They're ex- expecting it to be down 30% already. You know, they're already predicting it's going to be down 30%, just the rice crop. I don't know about the wheat or the barley or the oats or the maize or the, all the other fodder crops. But obviously, you know, if people stop feeding all this stuff to animals, you know, there would be a huge amount of slack in the system. Do you see what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, they would. So it's <laughs> yeah. that thing of, of, you know, they're quite happy to let black and brown people starve in Africa and will take their corn and feed it to our chickens and pigs so that we can keep eating chicken nuggets and bacon sandwiches. You know, where all that grain <laughs> could quite easily feed everyone in Sudan, Somalia, or Yemen, you know, everywhere where there's famine and starvation. It's not that there's a shortage of food, you know, it's just that... Our priorities are in the wrong place. Our priorities are in the wrong place, yeah, yeah. And they'll do it, you know, they did that before in the Irish um, potato famine, didn't they? They exported from Ireland, nearly all the wheat and the barley and the oats from Ireland, into the UK to feed animals. That's why so many people died in Ireland. The potato famine was due to potatoes, but there was enough food in Ireland to feed the Irish people. But they, the British government, took it all out. They took it. Mm. They exported it to, to to England to feed to the to cows and the chickens and the, <coughs> the pigs and the chickens. So, there, you know, the, there, is the that, actually, there is that class of people who will do that. You know, they're selfish. Yeah. They don't have empathy. They don't know what compassion is. They don't know what empathy is. They're only empathic to their own, you know, kin.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, they'll do... But they say they do anything for their children, um, but they won't do anything for anyone else's children. In fact, they'll, they'll push, you know, someone else's child into, under a train. You put it so
0: fucking brutally but it's yeah you're, you're it's, not wrong it's
1: these are the people we're working with i mean really you know and um these are the
0: people who are running the country
1: these are the people who are running the country yeah these are the people who are running the country they they don't have empathy i don't know if you saw that navara media thing with uh, mark beard i think he was he did a really nice thing with ash sukar um about um, how he reckoned, because they'd all been sort of sent to boarding school when they were very young, they have sort of emotionally cut off and dissociated from their sense, their capacity to feel empathy, you know, and it's this sort of public school training ground where, you you know, these really strict boarding schools, you know, the public schools people spend a lot of money sending their children to, are so abusive Mm. and so hierarchical and basically so abusive... That the children come out with an you know with a capacity to lie, to cheat, to hurt each other, to not feel empathy, you know and these are the people who are in charge of the country you know eighty five percent of high court judges are public school educated i don't know how many members of the Tory party, probably a hundred percent of the Tory party are public school educated, so they're all like emotional
0: public public school
1: public school, you know boarding school. You know, Eton and oh. and places like that, and they're fucking brutal. You know, I was
0: um, I was a look, I was looking at um, I was uh, I was camping by the sea the other day. By the way, uh, cycled up to the ocean, camped by the sea, and there's a big boarding school there. Mm. And my my partner, she homeschools her kids. Mm. They learn about nature and they spend a lot of time in nature and they spend you know Beautiful. a lot of, like learning lots of different cool interesting things and they have a lot of freedom. And they're able to express themselves creativity, like creatively and spend a lot of time with the parent. Uh, which is, uh, so they've got a really close bond with the parents and the siblings.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm, I compare that to the body, that boarding school. I'm looking at that. It looks like Hogwarts. Yeah. I'm thinking, bloody hell. Yeah, you know, yeah. Those kids could, couldn't, be so, couldn't be so different.
1: I had a neighbour come and complain to me the other day. And she, and she said, um, why can't nature be tidy? You know, why can't sustainability be tidy? You know, And I said just, well, I said nature isn't tidy, it's messy. Mm. It just is, you know, it's what, what is it in your frame of mind that you want everything to be tidy about? You know, what is it you're so hung up about that you want everything tidy? Can't you cope with a little bit of diversity? You know, a yeah. bit of difference and a bit of undulating, you know, different tones in the grass. You want it all one colour, your lawn. You push a mower over it just so it's one shade of green you know rather than you know my i don't have a lawn but my grass here i haven't cut it for like five years and it's just so different there's so many types of grass and flowers and you know there's dead grass and live grass there's so many so much diversity there mm-hmm. um and people don't like diversity do they some people just want everything you know sort of monochrome yeah yes josh hey ho. i um have you
0: have, you've read the book wilded haven't you be, I think you've talked about it before.
1: I've read, yes, I've read. I didn't read all of it. I read, I read some of it, and then I got bored. Actually, it's quite long.
0: It is quite long. I, I, uh, it I, was, I, long. Had a, I was, I was, I'm finishing it a little bit. It took me quite a long time. Something about three months, four months.
1: Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I read, I read a lot of it, um, and I kind of feel well, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of know. A lot of it you know I've, I've been doing this work for a long time myself not on a dairy farm but i do understand the sort of concepts of it um so i yeah i just didn't give up reading to be honest and also i i i do kind of think i mean i think there's a lot of information in books but also i think books you know taking information from books is also a really dry way of doing it you know if yeah. you can you know it's in your head and I think what we need to do more is try and learn to use our heart intelligence and our, and our instinct. You know, it's that thing of trying to be our own indigenous people, you know, trying to reclaim what it is to be indigenous, you know, because um, I remember Malvina saying once in um, Hyde Park, and she was a great spokesperson for, um, I think it was XR Global Majority or one of, one of these sort of BIPOC groups, and I remember her standing there and she said, listen, you know, w- you know, I don't know any white people who identify as indigenous. You know, European people feel that, that we're not indigenous or that you are not. She, she's, she's not white. And she was saying, you white people, you need to claim your own land again. Mm. You know, it's you like you're... There's a sort of colonial thing going on where we're trying to help, you know, black and brown indigenous people stay on their land and she was saying you guys need to sort out and retake your land and retake your own indigenous nature and your own indigenous way of living you know Mm. which is messy which is indigenous yeah and we need to try and do that you know i think it's that thing of You know, I've heard so many times that indigenous people hold the knowledge that we need to regenerate our land, you know, because they understand plants in a, in, a, in a way that's different to the scientific way. You know, they understand that plants have feelings and there's, they're much more complicated than a scientist can ever describe. You know, science is a very blunt tool mm-hmm. um, and they're very aware of the sensitivity of it. And so we need to really reawaken our own sense of being of this land and it being really important to us. And it's our land, not in a sort of fascist, sort of nationalistic kind of way, but in a way of we're connected to it and we can look after it and we can have a relationship, a meaningful relationship with it. Mm. You know, we can have a proper fucking relationship with it. Whereas, you know, I think for, for most European people, it's like we don't even imagine that we could go back to that place or rediscover that place of, of finding our own indigenous um, sort of way of living on this land. And who knows? It might come back because in a fascist state, obviously, you know, it's probably better that you, you know how to live out in the woods. You I want to wanna know learn. To live, you need to know how to live away from the tarmac, away from the streetlights, away from the How do phones. you feed yourself... You know how do you feed yourself how do you how do you live with very little food yeah and how do you just eat a little bit of buds off this plant and buds off that plant and how do you catch a rabbit or how do you you know catch a deer or how do you you know steal food or whatever um but how do you live outside of the system you know if the system is so fucked and it is fucked and it is going down um and it, you know i it's not that I'm prepping in that way of hoarding tins of baked beans and getting shotguns <laughs> um, to, to defend my little stash. Gentlemen, you know I it's not that. It's like thinking actually, in a changing landscape, um, you know, changing climate, we have to know how to, how to survive. How to, to survive, we're going to need to know how to adapt and how to live and work on the land and move through the land. And read the land, read the landscape. Yeah. You know, Bob Marley said, you know, he who fights and runs away, he who fights and runs away, lives to fight another day in a heathen jungle. So I really like that line, you know, that sense of we, we're going to have to survive this. Um...
0: I don't know how we can, to be honest, because I think it's going to be... I think even if, even if you try and survive there, uh, if, we hit mil, if, we, if we have you know, the world's biggest drought and we have multi-breadbasket failure, and mm-hmm. how many people live in London? Eight million, is it? Something like it's that? 12
1: or 13, isn't it? 12 yeah, or 13.
0: So can you imagine 12 or 13? We're all going to set off walking in every direction. Like yeah, yeah. there's going to be millions of people yeah, on the yeah. march, and they're going to spread out yeah. equally in every direction, and you're going to yeah. have an endless stream of starving Londoners turning up at your house. Yeah, and
1: uh, yeah. you know, well, you don't, you don't, you don't think I'll still be here, do you? <laughs> well,
0: fine, <laughs>
1: I don't know. I'll leave the food for them, and I'll probably disappear.
0: Yeah, well, uh, that's probably. Well if you're, I'll, a, I'll take what I
1: can carry and.
0: Even if you're, the rest. even if you're out in the countryside somewhere and you've got a nice big farm and you've got guns and shotguns and, and you've got a mountain of food, it's not gonna work,
1: you're is gonna, it? You're gonna, no, you're, no.
0: You're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna be first of all, there's gonna be one starving Londoner turn up mm. his, with his family, and you're gonna turn him away yeah. at gunpoint. He's probably gonna walk away, and then the next one'll come, and the next one'll come, and the next one'll come, mm-hmm. and before yeah, you know yeah. it, you'll have turned away have about hundred of them. And right yes. a quarter of a mile away, a hundred London, starving Londoners would be now saying, Well, he's obviously got a load of food to hide.
1: Let's go break yeah, yeah. into his house at four in the morning and tie him up. Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. know? That's why I wouldn't stay. Do you know what I mean? I'd be <laughs> out of here before, before. You know, I'd be gone away before then, dude. I'd be gone there and trying to find the people I love and try to be, make sure I'm close to the people I love. Yeah. And uh, help look after the people I love. Same. I'll, yeah. I. But I'm quite terrified. Stick around.
0: I'm quite terrified, to be honest, because you know, I, I, with the age that I'm at now, I stand to live through the breakdown of Earth's life support systems, the breakdown of yep. the uh, global food trade. Yep, I'm gonna live. If I, am if gonna live to see a lot of suffering.
1: Yeah.
0: So you yeah. know,
1: it's gonna be really hard. Well, it's going to be really hard. I've been, I've been aware of that for a while. You know, how we, how we learn to live knowing, you know, that there are billions of people starving. I mean, it's happening now already. You know, in Yemen, I don't know how many people are dying of starvation. In the Horn of Africa, there's a famine. You know, people are dying now of starvation. And this yeah. is only going to get worse. You know, a friend of mine was, was working in. Um, macedonia she went out to help people um the refugees there who were trying to come into europe and she said the stories from outside of europe you know of, of just the breakdown of society that it is started already the breakdown of society outside of europe
0: do you know and do you the, remember you know, do you remember any of the stories
1: refugees trying to
0: hmm? did she t- tell you any of the stories
1: yeah, it was brutal. It was brutal. The police were just like, yeah, brutalizing them, just brutalizing them. You know what they were met with on the on the border. You know, they've built this fence across Macedonia and Croatia. I think it is over in Eastern Europe. You know, it's a fucking twenty-four foot fence um, to keep people out, and the people trying to get across. It's just like, the, yeah, the brutality of it. The brutality.
0: You know,
1: from from the, from the state.
0: There's a lot of people in the UK that think, like, we should stop the immigrants from coming. But you've got to imagine, like, if, if it's not raining in your country anymore, you've got two options, yeah. starve or leave.
1: Yeah. And
0: yeah. people try and blame yeah. them. They say, well, why can't they build their own country? Why can't they get their own country together? Well, they, you know, a lot mm. of these countries, for one were have been created artificially by the british by the british empire and the spanish empire and the germans and the portuguese and and then they've just been left to fend for themselves and now they're first on the chopping block for the climate crisis and you know if you if you if you if you were starving and you're watching your kids starve and it's starve or leave any person anybody in the world you'd grab all it of your bad. shit and you'd go yeah You think, I'm
1: going to do this with my kids, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they're met with this sort of, yeah, this really right wing. um, You know, there's no empathy. There's no compassion. And, you know, just over the border, there's loads of food. They're feeding, you know, grade A wheat and barley to chickens and pigs. You know, they're feeding sackfuls of soybeans to pigs to fatten them up for their bacon and you know just a, a little bit of that food would go a long way in Yemen
0: yeah well in the UK we throw away we throw away tons and tons and tons hundreds of tons thousands of tons probably millions yeah. of tons of food yeah, every yeah. year like not even like yeah. not even like scraping the odd the odd Brussels sprout into the bin after you finished eating I'm talking like once food goes one day out of day and the shops can no, no longer legally sell it They take it around the Mm -hmm. back, throw it into a big dumpster and crush it and take it to landfill. Like, yeah. The other week, by the way, um, I went and um, I went into a dumpster around the back of the supermarket and pulled out two massive bin bags full of vegetables potatoes, carrots, uh, tons Mm. of broccoli, Mm. uh, onions, um, sweet potatoes. Uh, all all kind yeah. of there was about fifty apples, fifty lemons, fifty oranges. Yeah. I had to throw. I, I I dragged it all to a park because it I could barely pick it up. It was so heavy, and I threw away about fifty apples. 50, I threw away, I threw away like almost all the apples, oranges, and lemons just because. It's
1: fucking disgusting. I couldn't I couldn't
0: I couldn't even carry them.
1: It yeah. was more
0: than I could carry. Yeah. I
1: took it's it shocking, all.
0: It, eh? I took it all back home. Washed yeah. it all. Uh, washed the whole lot of it, and uh, it was. 90 percent of it was was great they were, there was a few mushy bits so i just threw them away and i had a whole kitchen side covered in vegetables so then um yeah. my mother-in-law came around and took a load of them and helped distribute them around the community
1: oh, fantastic fantastic yeah 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 it should be illegal to do that kind of stuff shouldn't it to throw food away it should it, be illegal.
0: It is, it's illegal in france you know is it Yeah, it's illegal for them to throw away in France.
1: Well, they're a bit more progressive in France, (laughs) to be honest. They know how to do things a bit more... a bit better than we do. I know.
0: I feel like we're sliding more more towards, you know, a fascist state that takes away your freedoms, to be honest.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think we're sliding quite fast. We're sliding quite fast. But... Who knows, you know, for it to be that critical mass, something might happen. And I think it's slightly beyond our control. You know, like, um, you know, the Brixton riots, the the, Tux, the Tottenham riots, the, um, the, you know, Hansworth riots, they just sparked, didn't they? There was no big movement to make them happen. They just happened. It was a synchronicity of some act of state repression and state violence just, just ignited something in a critical number of people and they they went out and did it and rioted and so you know got got a bit french about it didn't they burning stuff smashing stuff and i think unless that happens you know people like you know that that is not something you can plan or provoke i don't think i think these things just happen and i think they will happen and hopefully quite soon mm. um and hopefully enough that it will actually get some proper changes to happen. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, Josh. I don't want to be a doomer. But I totally get it. I think we're in for a really interesting time. You know, I keep hearing people say, you know, it's a very... It's certainly a very interesting time to be alive. Oh, God, yeah. In the next 20, 20, 30 years are going to be, shall we say, interesting. And how we, how we learn to cope... And to survive without going mad you know still holding on to some sense of respect for for the world respect for ourselves love and joy um it's going to be really hard
0: yeah knowing no, um, that this is happening can you can say you, you know what i'm trying to do well i think you already know what i'm trying to do i'm trying to find the right combination of words to change the world. I'm trying to create the thing that seems like it's impossible, you know? Um, The global non-violent revolution, like the world has never seen before. I might be naive, I don't think think, think I'm naive, but I think it's it's not impossible. It's not like completely impossible, like zero percent chance. It might be pretty close mm. to zero, it might be like 0.00001 or something like that, but if it's not impossible, then that means that it is possible. And if it is possible, yes. then that is enough.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, I suppose even finding within yourself, you know, your own revolution. You know, I think with activism, you know, it's like, activists are trying to change other people. You know. And obviously that's a much harder thing to do than to change yourself. Yeah. You know, the, only, the only thing we you have any autonomy over is, is ourselves. So, you know, for me, is making sure that you start, you know, by living your life as you want, as you feel is totally yourself. Mm-hmm. And in tune and in, you know, it's that thing of being the change that we want to be, you know, finding the way that we need to live and then living it
0: well yeah changing other people you're doing that really
1: are in a way yeah yeah kind of yeah i realize there's a sort of arrogance in trying to change other people i don't think you can change other people i want to change the state no no you can show them stuff and you can role model stuff to them and you can open doors for them Mm. but if they don't want to learn. They're not going to learn. If they don't want to listen, they're not going to listen. If they're not ready, they're not going to... They're not, they're not, you, you know, you can shout at them, but they're not going to hear you. Unless they're ready to hear it. Um, mm. So that sense of, you know, just got to focus on your own internal revolution and live your life, you know, in, in integrity and no, with joy and with love. I do, I do appreciate all that. You know, in a sort of sense of service, a sense of, you know, in service to the mother and to the more than humans and the humans um, and all of life. Um, And then, you know, beyond that, it's like, um, we can't save the whole world, Josh. You know, you can save your bit of the world bit of the world that you have around you you have some autonomy over that you know that think of you know think global but act local you know we can't change stuff that's we can't change stuff that's going on in yemen we can't change stuff that's going on in palestine we can't change stuff you know it's it's too far away we can't stay, we can't change what's going on in china but we can can change stuff that's going on in manchester in the area you live in I can try and change some stuff in the area of Kent where I'm living. I can do that. That's realistic. I might even go to London and with another few thousand people, we could change something in this country. Mm. But it, I think that's even less, you know, but that sense of, yeah. What I have most autonomy over is myself and the my immediate neighborhood, my immediate community.
0: Yeah. I, I can impact a value, that a lot. There's a lot of value in that. There's a lot of value
1: in that idea. I mean, yeah, it's 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 really complicated, and it's so painful. It's so complicated to think about, you know, and and how we live with this knowledge that a you know, or a lot of people are going to die of starvation. Um, it's going to be. I don't know how we how we can live with that, and still eat, you know. I uh
0: I can't live with that. If I if I didn't go hey. all if I I can't live with that. If I if I didn't go fucking balls to the wall of trying to trying to change the world and trying to try to save the billions of lives, by the time I'm like your age, I wouldn't think I don't think I'd be I'd be very happy with myself. You know, I don't think I'd like myself very much if I didn't try now.
1: No. No, but you know. Sometimes uh, we have to just do what we can. Mm. You can only do what you can, Josh.
0: Well, imagine if you
1: told...
0: Imagine if you told Gandhi as a young man to only do what he can.
1: Eh? Um, Josh, I can he'll hear the dinner bell is about to go in this right. lovely place. that's
0: fine. Well, we've just passed an hour anyway. So let me just uh, round off by saying if you've enjoyed this episode... Um, some subscribe to Activism Uncensored on YouTube follow us on Twitter and yes and um, we'll end it there